I couldn't just say that I was bi and leave it at that. I had to let people know that, oh, I know I might not seem bi or you might not have known. It was very imposter syndrome being like, <laughs> I understand that this might be confusing or whatever. It, it's a funny thing because because me in this moment, I'm like, oh, I could have just said I am this and just like left it at that. But for me, a few years ago, that didn't feel like an option at all. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And today's episode was inspired by two unladies who wrote in separately in a similar space with being bisexual. So both of these unladies are married to men. And in the course of these long-term relationships, they have realized that they are, in fact, bisexual. But they don't exactly know what to do with that self-knowledge of their sexual orientation. Should I fully come out? What does that even mean? What does that look like? Will it impact my relationships? And I'm also, unladies listening, posing these questions to y'all because I know that at least statistically speaking, there are some of you listening who can absolutely relate. And here's why. The majority of people who identify as bisexual are women And most of those women do end up partnered with men and come to find out, according to a 2021 study in the Journal of Bisexuality, bi women in relationships with cis straight men are the least likely among all bisexuals to be fully out. They might not be out at all. They might only be out to close friends, maybe only their partner. And the question we're going to start exploring this episode is why? Is that clinging to bisexual privilege? Is that avoiding biphobia? Is that grappling with this in-betweenness of not being straight enough to feel fully at home in straight spaces or queer enough to feel accepted in queer spaces of essentially not knowing exactly where you belong. And something that we don't get into this episode, but is an important factor to point out, is how motherhood can also intensify this feeling of invisibility and bisexual erasure. And I also don't want to suggest that bisexuality is exclusive to cisgender women. In fact, in response to last week's episode, I heard from a non-binary unlady who is bisexual, who is kind of dealing with the flip side of what we're exploring today, where they are constantly having to come out and how cis men in particular are very flummoxed by their sexuality and what that means about their gender It can be very complex. In other words, this dynamic we're focusing on in the episode is common, probably more common than we really talk about. But by no means am I suggesting that it is the universal bisexual experience. I mean, because also that probably doesn't exist, right? 
and to get into all of this and offer some advice to the two unladies who inspired the episode, I'm talking to someone who has really been going through all of this on their own in the past few years. My name is Maggie Zhao. I'm 24 years old. I live in Melbourne, Australia. That's where I was born and where I've lived my whole life. I work as an editor. So it's for a Melbourne publication called Fashion Journal. I'm their branded content and features editor. As well as that, I speak a lot about slow fashion. And I also have a podcast that I co-host with my friend Jasmine, and it is called Culture Club. So a lot of words from me. And it's kind of fitting because you asked me why I do what I do. And I guess it's it's all about communicating. It's all about storytelling, um, all things that I'm very fond of. Well, let's get into a little bit of the storytelling aspect. Um, so you wrote a Refinery29 essay called The Bittersweet Privilege of Straight Passing in Queer Communities. Why did you want to write this particular essay? Mm, great question. So it's kind of a funny one. Um <laughs> It was around, I would say, um, in sometime in 2020 when I kind of came to the realization that I am bi. It took me a while to, of course, just figure that out on my own time. And after a little while, uh, me and my friend Jasmine, who I just mentioned before, we actually had an episode of our podcast where we literally just came out to each other <laughs> on air, essentially. Yeah. So it was a really honest conversation, lots of tears involved. And then after that, that kind of revelation about my identity just sat with myself for quite a few months. And I was just, you know, just thinking about it. And then uh, almost a year later, I ended up writing another piece for Refinery29, just before the one that you just referenced. It was actually called, mm. Am I Queer Enough to Call Myself Bi? And it was kind of like my coming out piece. I just reread this actually before coming on air. And it was quite interesting because I've changed a lot in my beliefs about my identity or it was really interesting to see like let's say how insecure I was writing that piece and rightfully so I had a lot of uh, well-meaning friends come up to me who are queer after reading that piece and being like oh congratulations thank you so much for sharing but also like hey you're really centering yourself and you've got a lot of privilege in this space being a straight presenting straight passing person you know of course there are so so many people in our community that aren't afforded that safety so after sitting with that a few months later I wrote the piece that you were talking about yeah Tell me a little bit then about what prompted the first essay of that of the that mm. question that you were grappling with. It's a funny one because the the title of the piece, yes, am I queer enough to be bi? It really did reflect this conflict inside of me where I'm like, okay, no, I want to be appreciated and seen by the queer community. I like, I want to be accepted, right? In the piece I mentioned, it's kind of funny now, but like, yeah, I'd cut my hair shorter. You know, I was wearing boiler suits. I dyed bits of my hair blue and everything. And those felt like little tokens of like, here is my membership card. Please accept me, especially as, and I still am in a long term relationship with a man eight years this year. And, it was a weird piece because I wanted to tell everyone that I was bi and I posted it online and I was very lucky. I got 
I was overwhelmed with support. But then the other part of me was like, I couldn't just say that I was bi and leave it at that. I had to let people know that, oh, I know I might not seem bi or you might not have known. Like it was very imposter syndrome being like, <laughs> I understand that this might be confusing or whatever. It, it's a funny thing because because me in this moment, I'm like, oh, I could have just said I am this and just like left it at that. But for me, a few years ago, that didn't feel like an option at all. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing the piece about the the bittersweet privilege, what were you hoping to explore? And is there anything you sort of wanted to reconcile at that point? Yeah, no, completely. It's an interesting thing as well, because I never, ever feel qualified to speak on this, funnily enough, to talking about it right now and also wrote two pieces <laughs> minimum about this. Because <laughs> the, the, the real truth is, you know, I am a young person just coming to terms with my ever-changing identity and sexuality encompasses that. And the thing is, like, there is so much academia and theory and literature and history and culture to the LGBTQIA plus community. I barely scratch the surface, of course, so I can only ever speak about my own experience. But to your question, I felt like I needed to write that piece because guilt and shame was actually a part of it, if I'm being flat out honest, because I was like, oh shit, like my first piece, though I stand by it, and I know it resonated for a lot of people who identified as queer but didn't feel like they could, I guess, like advertise that label, I was like, well, in the scheme of things, in the scheme of issues that affect the queer community, like my one isn't that pressing, right? And I, I say this not to diminish any of my feelings. I stand by and validate how I felt and how I feel. But if I'm just being flat, come on, like lives are on the line. People's safeties, physical safeties is being targeted. Whereas oh, little old me, it's like, oh, people might not know. I also like women and non-binary people because I'm holding hands with my boyfriend or something, right? <laughs> and it's easy kind of to make jokes about it. But I did really want to press on and be like, hey, actually, there are really serious safety issues, mental, physical, spiritually issues that affect the queer community. And I know that's obviously not rocket science and people know that, but I but I just felt like I needed to reiterate that as an ally and as someone who is afforded that privilege. The sense of guilt and the imposter syndrome is a theme that I have seen and heard from a number of people who share the identity of being bi mm. or pan, but maybe straight presenting. And I am curious, at least from your experience, where those feelings are coming from internal mm. versus external. Yeah, great question. Because, um, like I mentioned, a lot of that feedback I got from my first play, a first piece was from the queer community being like, Hey, like no queer person is really gatekeeping the community. Like we don't care what you look like. If you say you're queer, we, we just believe you're queer. Like there's none of that. Right. So it was really interesting receiving that feedback. And now two, three years on, I see and resonate with that. But back then I couldn't really stomach that. I'm like, well, well, I don't know if that is true as someone knocking at the door, <laughs> like, you know, being like, oh, I got an invitation to this party, but am I really allowed in? Mm. Like, you know, am I wearing the right clothes? Do mm. I know the right people? Am I saying the right things? Have I seen the right movies? Have I seen the right t TV shows? <laughs> um, to get to the question, look, if I'm being honest, 
it's it was really an internal battle but like we can't be like you know we don't exist in a vacuum it's obviously because of external forces for my personal journey I have to say that there's an element of internalized racism potentially because I'm Chinese and I think especially in the LGBTQIA plus community at least in circles that I surround myself in and the, the media I consume it is quite predominantly white and especially in Australia so I think not really seeing myself reflected in my complexities in like my sexuality um, and my race was it like fed into it. I was like, well, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to look like and who I'm supposed to be like. So definitely a mix of external and internal pressures. Yeah. What has been the response from your partner as you've gone through this journey of self-discovery? Oh, the best. I feel really, really bloody lucky. My partner, Tom, has been my biggest supporter, my biggest cheerleader. We've obviously, like, we've grown up together, essentially. We started dating at 16, so I understand that's, like, very formative years, but nothing but support and nothing but, like, understanding and, like, providing space for that as well and understanding in the sense of, like, he understands that he won't understand what (laughs) I feel as well as a cishet man. And I'm really lucky about that because actually, if we go all back, all the way back to the start, that kind of day I had that realization about my sexuality, it was really, I had a lot of mixed feelings because I'm like, oh my God, like, who am I? Like, why did I keep this from myself for over two decades of my life? Like, I thought I knew myself so well. Mm. Why didn't I know this aspect of myself? Second half of that was like, oh my God, I need to tell Tom because I tell him everything. Like, and I remember calling him up. It was like after dinner. I was like, you need to come over right now. I need to tell you something essentially. And I like went out to his car after dinner. It's quite late and we're sitting in the car just for like a full hour, just like talking it out, crying. And I, I felt so supportive in that environment. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that it sounds like there was kind of no. There was no delay or like, do I tell him? Don't I tell him? It was, I got to call Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I mean, I am an oversharer. I love, I (laughs) feel like it's very Gen Z of me. I like grown up on the internet, the internet as my diary. It's unfortunate. Like I need to. I need to archive and scrub something, but it's almost like how I've treated my relationship as well with Tom. Like as we, as we have grown so closely together in such like a pivotal point in our lives. I don't know. It almost, I just, I just needed to tell him. I don't know. Again, that felt like almost like a guilt if I was keeping this secret from him. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You, you mentioned the podcast episode where you and your co-host come out to each other. Was was that the moment when everything came out? And I, I mean, in terms of you sort of having this light bulb moment, or was there a, a different point when sort of everything came to the surface? It's an interesting one because uh, I would say, well, it was before the podcast episode, but it wasn't this massive aha moment that a lot of people might speak on. For me, it was like a slow build up, like a slow crescendo of things that I couldn't like ignore anymore. And I do think, you know, this was 2020, um, especially in Melbourne, we were in lockdown um, mm. for a lot of the year. And I think internet discourse and the media I was consuming and even like the, the friends I was talking to online, a lot of who are queer, that really helped it was just like a slow kind of molding of like okay like it's okay to be this way that queerness can look all these different ways and it kind of like chipped out at me I just like chipped away at me a little bit I believe me I was very uncomfortable with this realization at the start which is of course internalized homophobia I, I was reading back in my piece and I so forgot this detail for so long I was not comfortable saying that I was bi anywhere around that word I would only say like I'm not straight I was I was certain mm. that I was not straight but I could not put a label on it it was scary 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 stuff and I mean that's only in the, re in the last year or something I feel like I'm more comfortable with that but the other thing when I was saying, right, that I didn't have this big aha moment really fed into me doubting my identity even further. Um, in the piece, in my original piece, I was talking about how a lot of people were like, oh yeah, like after I came out, I realized I was in love with my best friend all throughout high school. Or like, you know, I had the biggest crush on my neighbor, blah, blah, blah. I actually didn't have any of those moments. It, it makes sense when I step back now because I'm like, well, of course, everyone's journey is different. And of course, attraction looks different to everyone. But that was just another, yeah, another hurdle to go through too. I am very curious what you think about even the term straight passing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good question. Good question. In the piece, I talked to an expert from Minus 18, which is a youth charity in Australia focused on mental health. And it was so interesting because I hadn't I thought about it this way. And the person was essentially like, well, yeah, straight passing kind of does exist, but it stops pretty instantly the moment that you do admit or like, you know, you tell someone that you're queer because that, that, that safety and that protection, I guess, does kind of disappear with that, with like your, with your queer label like out in the open in a way and it's a double-edged sword because like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that oh like walking down the street holding hands with my partner is difficult because it's not but the other side of things which I think we can't not talk about in this conversation is that 
it can be a little bit hurtful. So on a on a small level, right, like having people and friends that I have known be like really shocked or made a big deal about my identity, being like, oh, like really? Really, really, really? Like mm. questioning all of it and then you, making you feel like icky, icky in yourself. And the other thing is like this sense of self-erasure that can maybe happen as well because we are not fully allowing us to be our full authentic selves and that includes your queerness or whatever straight passing may look like. Like, what does that actually mean when we look at that? Like, are we just talking about like mainstream fashion? Are we talking, like, what are we talking about? So I think it is good that you're right. Like we should be interrogating these terms that we kind of just throw around, which I definitely do. I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah. As I've been preparing for our conversation and reading different experiences and things like that, I have seen mm. some people argue that we almost need a a new term for it because mm. passing implies kind of an intentionality. It kind of puts someone back in a, the closet to some yeah. extent. And I just kind of like taken the term for granted of like, oh, yeah, that you see man, woman and the relationship. Yeah. OK, there we go. Straight passing. But especially, you know, in the context of bisexual erasure and that feeling of invisibility, I just wonder if it reinforces that sense of not being seen. Mm. And it's so funny because like one of the values that we rightfully like applaud um, the LGBTQIA plus community on is like inclusivity and diversity, right? And it's so funny that we have such a binary approach to straight passing when it's like, actually, no, like, and I'm not saying like, I don't like who is like, it's, it's hard to know who the perpetrator, I guess, of like, oh, this person is straight passing is like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. you know this is this straight people saying this is this queer people saying this, who knows? But in the scheme of things, it's like, queerness can and does look like anything. There is no set way of looking. I wonder when it comes to that guilt and, and imposter syndrome, th this sense of kind of not wanting to take up space in mm -hmm. queerness, queer identity that might not be yours. This is something that I have seen and heard bisexual women in particular grapple with. Mm. And I wonder if it, if you're aware at all, if it is specific to women mm. versus maybe bi or pan men who could be wow. in yeah. straight passing relationships. Oh my God. That is such a good point. I actually never looked at it it that way but I think that makes so much sense you're right it's at a crossroads of so many things like it's quite funny um have you seen on the internet how like this bisexual people are like the punching bag because you know it's always about us like we mentioned bisexuality <laughs> and everything and everything right like there's that thing there's that trope where we're like super annoying and like attention seeking um, like it doesn't help my case when I'm like speaking on the microphone right now for 45 minutes just about my <laughs> own like sexuality journey like it is I it is doing something for my ego like it is very funny but um so yeah and on one hand you've got that kind of making ourselves small in that way not wanting to seem like we're annoying or taking up too much space right which is that is so true and before I continue actually one of my friends who's also bisexual we actually spoke 
really recently and we were like, oh yeah, in the last year we actually haven't, we have consciously and unconsciously spoken less about our sexuality, especially online because of that annoying trope and because it is, we don't want to be seen as like loud and annoying or something like that. So you are right. Like there are real flow on effects of that. And to your other point about being women, like, of course, especially, I mean, both online and in person, like we're always told to diminish ourselves, to make ourselves smaller, to take up less space. And I completely, I completely think the mixture of, I guess, biphobia and misogyny is at the center of this kind of whittling down of our identities. Yeah, no, completely. And I am curious how how to reconcile a bisexual privilege or straight passing privilege mm-hmm. with the reality at least at least in the United States that bisexual women in particular do experience higher rates of intimate partner violence and assault i think we really should be taking the full seriousness and severity of biphobia accepting it and and i know we just spent the last five minutes just poking fun (laughs) at being bisexual as well and i guess of course there's humor to be found in especially queer culture as well but but you are right there are really pressing issues and when at the start of this episode we're talking about how yeah a lot of queer people face tremendous danger towards their their being like we can't negate exactly what you said about um, bisexual people facing domestic violence as well. There are stats where, I think this was in Australia, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just mirrors what the US is like as well. I've got it right here. Let me just double check. 44% of Australians say that they're not at all open to dating someone who is bisexual. Wow. (laughs) Which just feels, yeah, so ridiculous and outdated. Yeah, like, why not? <laughs> How scary are we? Like, I'm like, what are we? Like, I'm like, I'm like do I have claws? Is something happening that I can't see? I do have a couple of listener questions I would love to ask. All right. This is from a listener who says that she is out to her partner and close friends, but that's it. So Mm. she says, since I'm in a relationship with a cisgender man for 10 years now, I pass as straight And it was only through reading on the internet in my 20s that I realized I can be queer Mm -hmm. and in what seems like a heterosexual Mm. relationship. I also work with girls. I have a daughter. I don't want girls to be as confused as I was as a teen. But should I be out and proud for that? Oh, well, to this listener, congratulations. I'm very glad that, first of all, you've shared this with us and also that you've been on your own journey as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but what comes to my head is that, like, there is no right or wrong. I understand 
And for a lot of people, of course, the closet is like a very triggering and harmful and hurtful place, but it is your decision, right? I think there have been more conversations in recent years about like, okay, do we even need it coming out? Like, what is the purpose of this? And I really think it is up to the individual. And I think it's about what feels good to you and what is comfortable for you. Because at the end of the day, it is just about you and your expression. And if I put myself in your shoes, like, you know, I found a lot of validation and, and I felt really good in myself when I did share little aspects of myself or little elements of queerness. Like, I don't know, it could be as small as like, like literally like wearing a beanie or like reading this like queer coded book or watching Heartstopper, whatever it might be in as little or as big as you want. So that could be coming out to your wider community or your workplace or or whatever that might be. But in my head, small, small actions that you feel comfortable with can also be really powerful. And I would hate for anyone to feel like they're rushing or like they must tick all these boxes and like be out to be seen as correct or in whatever way. Yeah, I feel like that that is a big question of like, is there this this wanting of like a right way to be mm. fully out of the closet? I feel like we need a manual. We're all looking for a little guide, <laughs> yes. like a color coded one, one that we can just tick off. Like, oh, how much, how nice would that be? Exactly, exactly. Okay, I have another question. This is sort of similar. But I feel like we might have needed to get Tom on the line for this one. Um, so, <laughs> so this is from a listener who grew up in what she describes as a very culty Christian purity culture okay. household. And she writes, I never got the chance to acknowledge that I'm attracted to women as well as men. This is something I wish I could explore more, but I don't know how to breach the topic with my husband. I love him and am committed to our relationship, so I'm not looking to pursue anything outside of it. I just wonder if I should even tell him. How do I tell my husband I'm bi while reassuring him that it doesn't change our marriage? Or does it change our marriage? Is it worth telling him at all? This is a big one, hey? Yeah. Oh, God, I need to hear your thoughts on this as well because my immediate reaction, and yes, it's probably because I'm very naive and like, la, la, la. like <laughs> I, I understand that my view on relationships is warped by the one relationship I've been on. But in my head, I'm like, you are choosing to spend your life with this person. You've committed to this man to be your husband, right? And in my head, it's like, well, well, he should accept all of you unconditionally and openly. And when you get married, you, you surely are accepting that you will continue changing and evolving as a human, right? So it, it's not like you're bound to each other from like the person you were when you first met and started dating or whatever. My, I mean, I understand I'm, I might be a little bit like direct, but in, in my head, it does seem, like it could be a simple thing. It was like, well, you love this man. He loves you. He, if he is a supportive partner, it should, oh my God, I understand. I'm being very, ah, I feel no. like I'm being too harsh, but I'll, I'll soften no. it up as well. But it, I mean, why should we settle? Why should we right. settle if you are not going to spend the rest of your life with someone who doesn't support you 
And like literally at the end of the day, we're talking about attraction and love. These are beautiful, beautiful things, right? And as you say yourself, you want to reassure him. It's not like you're like, I want to leave. Like you, you, that hasn't changed. What do you think? I mean, ideally, I hope that she does come out to her husband in whatever timeline is right for her. You know, she raises the question of, will this change my marriage? And I think that Mm. it could... The answer could be yes in a positive way of coming out to him and being able to share this full aspect of herself mm. and allowing him to accept that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, like it doesn't, the change doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing at all. Completely. And if it arouses like insecurity in him, well, that's just something mm. that hello, like (laughs) relationships, that's going to come up. You get to work on that together as well. Completely. Yeah, that sparks two things for me. So like uh, the question that at the center of um, what was sent in is like, yeah, will this change our relationship? But the thing is, there's already been a change in the relationship, Mm. like your revelation about your identity. Why not let him in on this? Or at least, you know, it's, it's really loving and sweet to see that you are like the whole the whole question that you've sent in is about his emotions and how he will respond to this but it's like Mm. actually what do you want like do you want to share this part of your identity with him as well and the other thing I want to add as well is especially as women and especially navigating online life as well it's really lovely that we are given more permission to explore our identity and talk about our emotions and explore queerness in that way. Like in the last letter that we just talked about, you know, this person discovered that they were bi because of being immersed in these online worlds. And I think that's also, I mean, I don't want to call it a privilege, but it is like something that that like sense of community that people can find in queerness and that almost education, right? And that cultural knowledge that's passed down through this isn't always there for men or or, um Mm. i'm sure of course there are spaces for this but i also think to backtrack on my point where i was just like he should understand (laughs) well he hasn't really been given the same safe spaces to kind of understand that so i always try I, i would try keep that in mind as well yeah yeah my concern about her kind of just keeping it to herself is that turning it into a secret I feel like Mm. opens up the potential for it to create kind of potentially negative ripple effects in the relationship because you're starting to hold part of yourself, box off this very important part of yourself that could create distance in that relationship. Yeah, and that can build resentment, so Mm. I agree. Mm Mm-hmm. Queerness exists in a multitude, a million, a billion different ways. And wherever you find yourself in the journey, in your journey, is actually just exactly right. And it's, and it's so fine. I think one thing that sometimes we forget is that in the Q in LGBTQIA plus doesn't just stand for queer. It also stands for questioning. Mm. And I think that is really important to kind of give space to that really fucking weird can I swear? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll just say okay. Um really fucking weird time in your life where you feel like you're battling 
a lot of emotions and you feel a bit maybe invalidated and I feel a bit confused and I feel a bit scared for whatever, which way, for what lies in front of you, what has been passed. And I think just know that that is completely normal. A lot of people have also gone through that. Um, and it's, it's actually just all part of it. I look back now and I'm like, God, like, I'm glad I've grown, but like, <laughs> I just want to give her a hug. I just want to give her a hug. <laughs> And ladies, this conversation is focused exclusively on women coming to terms with their bisexuality while in relationships with straight men. And this can also apply, though, to women who have been exclusively in relationships with other women. And for more on that, you should listen to episode 65 of Unladylike with filmmaker Desiree Akvan. It's called How to Be the Bisexual. And I want to leave y'all with some advice that Desiree offered in that episode for bisexual unladies feeling conflicted over their identity. It's the same advice I give to to people who tell me, like, what's your advice for becoming a director? And it's to enable yourself. That's the thing, is like to have the sense of entitlement or the sense of ownership to be like, I'm going to blindly have faith in my own taste and my own instincts and my own opinions. Create that space for yourself and don't wait for someone else to make it okay. Do it yourself. If you wait for that, you might be waiting a long time. Again, that is from episode 65, How to Be the Bisexual. Back to this episode. Thank you so much to Maggie Zhao for coming on the show and talking to me. Y'all should absolutely follow Maggie on Instagram at yamags, which is Y-E-M-A-G-Z. You can also follow her on TikTok at Maggie underscore Zhao, which is Z-H-O-U. And listen to her podcast, Culture Club, which Maggie emphasizes is not about Boy George. And something else you can listen to our bonus episodes bonus episodes on the unladylike patreon recently on the bonus feed we've been talking convicted fraudster elizabeth holmes's newest grift and no i'm not calling her liz if you want to support unladylike if you want to keep unladylike alive for the long term the best way to do that is to join the patreon patreon.com slash unladylike media the link is also in the description of this episode on your podcast app it's hyperlinked you can just smash that link go over to patreon and join five dollars a month or more is all it costs to subscribe you get an extra bonus episode every week uncut interviews with some of our featured guests and all of my undying gratitude and 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 you're going to be getting some exclusive discounts for some brand new Unladylike merch. Keep an eye out on Unladylike socials because new merch is coming your way. To do that, you're going to want to follow Unladylike on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Unladylike Media. Unladylike is an Unladylike Media production, executive produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Mixing and mastering is by Multitude Productions. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week. What is the most unladylike thing about you? 
I have to just say what first came to my head, which is absolutely disgusting, but we'll roll with it. I am a, I am one gassy girl. I am one <laughs> gassy girl and I admit it and I own it. It's troublesome, <laughs> but it's part of me. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I love the like lack of hesitation, just like <laughs> Yeah. Just, that was perfect. I knew I had to say it or I would not let it out. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Sorry.